0: well as pastor camille shared with you we're sending a group from our church to colombia in uh less than a month and uh, we're continuing our effort to fundraise for supporting that team and being partners with them financially and so uh if you were with us a couple weeks ago when we had our presentation about the columbia missions trip we talked about how we were selling shares people have an opportunity to buy a share to help participate in the trip The shares are fifty dollars a piece and so we were hoping people might give and support the mission trip by making a fifty dollar donation or maybe buying multiple shares to support the work that's going on uh, with our team that's going to columbia there are 20 shares left i hold them in my right hand And so we would love to see you uh, take the opportunity to be a partner with our Columbia missions team as they prepare to go to Columbia in August. We're gonna be hearing from a different member of the team every single week between now and when they leave. And then we're gonna distribute a prayer guide to everyone in the congregation so you can pray with our team every day while they're in Columbia. And so I'm gonna give these to Pastor Camille. She's gonna have them in the back and Nancy will be back there and we'll be more than happy to let you be partners with us you like that language yeah. exactly it takes time to craft that kind of language when you ask people for money this reading from revelation reminds us that the book of revelation is a hard book can i get a witness it is a hard book to work in as a matter of fact the book of revelation called the apocalypse of john barely made it into the canon of the New Testament. There was great debate in the life of the church in the fourth and into the fifth century about whether this book should be included in the Bible or not and the reason that debate took place is because um, there were many who believed that the imagery and what the book is trying to convey is so powerful and can be so misconstrued that it could potentially be more dangerous to the Christian community then it could be beneficial. And so the time came, they discerned, they voted, and this became one of the 27 books of the New Testament and the closing book of the New Testament. It's a hard book. It has these cryptic images and strange visions like today, four living creatures like seraphim with six wings and one looks like a lion, one looks like an ox, one looks like a human being and another one... Uh, looks like a uh, what was the everyone uh, an eagle now see these four symbols have been co-opted to represent the four writers of the Gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John um, although that's a tradition that's been added to this inside the church it's not a scriptural tradition and in this case It looks a bit odd. I mean, if you were to envision what this literally might look like, there's someone sitting on a throne that we don't know who it is. There are these four strange-looking creatures surrounding it, a sea of glass, 24 elders sitting on thrones with a white robe, gold sash, and a crown on their head. A little odd, isn't it? Revelation is a book that's trying to help us understand something important. And oftentimes what happens is when we read these vivid images, we're tempted to make the book more complex than what it actually is. The message of Revelation, in many ways, is quite straightforward. We're going to talk about a piece of that today. But at the heart of this book, every time the Apostle John, who wrote this book, is ushered into a heavenly vision, what's happening in that vision is worship. And so it's for this reason why we chose this book for the next four weeks be talking to us about worship and how we worship together as God's people, because Revelation gives us kind of a little snapshot of what heavenly worship is, so that it can inform the way we worship here. We've talked about how in Christian worship there are four main components to it. Our gathering together, the proclamation of the word, our response to that word, and then being sent forth as God's people. Gather, proclaim, respond... Last week, we talked about gathering and how important it is to gather God's people, even in the midst of suffering, from different places, from everywhere. Today, we're focused on the proclamation. And the proclamation is in this story in Revelation chapter 4. Worship is our act of stepping into this mysterious world. And so when we come into a place of worship like this, at least for one hour a week here in the sanctuary, but wherever you might be, worshiping whether it's online or during the week somewhere you step into this heavenly realm and so here's a, a thought that might give you some sense of comfort and connection that right now 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year even 66 days a year in a leap year worship is happening worship is happening in a heavenly and in a spiritual reality and when we choose to worship Here, at home in your prayer closet for that moment you step into that heavenly reality you become a part of that which is going on in the heavens you become part of that community of people who gather around this throne and the one who sits on it and for me that's That's just such a marvelous and at the same time mystical sort of thought, that when we choose to be in worship, here or anywhere, this is the reality that we step into. So I want to talk about this proclamation today and about how God is at the center of who we are. I know the sanctuary looks a lot like a platform up here that you might think is a stage and there's pews out there that make it feel like you're in an audience. And hopefully by the time we're done with this sermon in a couple hours, we'll understand how to think of that in a different sort of way. What we proclaim is this. We proclaim the person, the one who is on the throne. In this passage in Revelation, it makes it clear that someone is sitting on this throne in the middle, but that one on the throne is never really described. Nor is that individual name. And so what, what John is doing as he's describing this vision he's having, he is really inviting us to conclude that that is God who is sitting on the throne. That it is God who is present in the very midst of it. And this throne, an idea of a throne, is important in Revelation because it's written in a Roman world where thrones were important. We live in a 21st century world and thrones are not quite as important, are they? And so there's this piece of disconnect when we read the story, it's like, ah, throne, yeah, whatever. All right, is that my lazy boy? I don't understand what that is. The idea of the throne has centrality and God is sitting on this throne. You see, we proclaim the one who's on the throne. And Revelation, in many ways, is written to a community of Christians at the end of the first century who were being constantly bombarded by people who were imposters. In my generation, we call them posers. Those who would think us to believe that they're someone else. There are a lot of imposters in this world in which John describes this vision that's given him by the Lord. And the chief impostor, of course, was Caesar, the Roman Emperor. The Roman Emperor, who always wanted to be the center of attention, wanted to be on the throne, wanted to be in the middle of all things, and what's important in this text is that there's a recognition that later on in Revelation chapter 4, the four living creatures all cry out together, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God the Almighty, the one who, is, who was, who is, and is to come. The Lord God Almighty. That statement that's ascribed to the one sitting on the throne, that was the same title and salutation that Emperor Vespasian demanded of himself when he was the Caesar of Rome the Lord God, the Almighty. you see what Revelation is trying to do? It's trying to make it clear that those in power, those who think they have influence, are nothing but imposters. That there's only one true God, and that God sits on the throne, and everyone else is a pretender. And in this sense, they are liars. John becomes crystal clear by the end of this book that they are Antichrist, the one of first of many who will come over time those who seek to enjoy the same privilege that god does so pause for a minute here in 2023 is that happening anywhere in our world today is are there individuals whether they be in the political space or religious space or other spaces that claim to have that kind of influence that kind of power I mean, we could even become a little bit more woven into the cultural context. This last week, there was a huge movement in the world of social media. How many of you now have a Threads account? Uh, There was moaning in the congregation. Yeah, I understand. So you know that there is a certain billionaire who bought Twitter, and since the days of buying Twitter, that platform has changed and gone through its, its own metamorphosis. So Twitter's main competitor is a company called Meta that also owns Facebook, and they decided they were going to premiere this week their very own competitor to Twitter. It's called Threads. So now you are going to bust out your phones to open your Threads account, right? I see people shaking their head no. The competition between these two billionaires, that are the CEOs of these two companies, is serious. As a matter of fact, three weeks ago on the news, it was rumored that those two individuals were going to have a cage match together. <laughs> cage match. Really? Really. It's not so much that I'm pointing the finger at the billionaires. That's not the issue. It's that the platform they've each created over time has made us, well, Worshippers of influence, how many likes we get, how many upvotes do we have? It's created within us an addiction to the most unhealthy form of affirmation. And it's not to say that social media is evil, it's a tool. And it can be used for purposes that are valuable and, and relational and communal, and it also can be used as a tool to destroy to hobble. We're addicted to celebrity, personalities, greed, and the need for approval. And social media feeds that need with an insatiable sort of appetite that we have for it. But there are also imposters that are not individuals, not just those idols, like emperors were in the time of Revelation, where there's There's also those that claim to have the same kind of power in the sphere of ideology. In Revelation's case, it's around Roman paganism, it's around the imperial cult is what it's called, and that's all that is to say is when the Roman emperors demanded that they be worshipped as the divine, that was a shift from being a political leader to being now a religious figure, that they would be worshipped. These ideologies are permeating our life in ways that perhaps we need to be more aware of. Are you holding on to your pew? I hope we begin to recognize, as followers of Jesus, the great danger that civil religion, Christian nationalism, and the neo-Nazi movement present to the day and age in which we live. Isn't it strangely ironic that the generation that fought against Nazism is just about gone? But yet it's resurgent everywhere. And as free Methodist people, that should get our attention immediately. Immediately. We were people from the beginning who opposed the practice of slavery. We opposed practices that would marginalize the poor as free Methodist people. Should capture our attention. There's great danger in the day in which we live. Revelation is written, yes, to a group of Christians who lived in Asia Minor 1,900 years ago. But remember, it did become part of the New Testament, did it not? It's written to us, too. We need to be careful of powers that would seek to conflate religion and politics with great suspicion. Because what we've seen over time is that is a toxic combination. We've had six days and 23 hours of idols and ideologies bombarding us. So when we come into this place, what we proclaim is God's act for us in Jesus Christ. That through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, that every single human being can be saved that we can experience the saving grace of Jesus that would save our lives here in this moment and save our lives for eternity. This is what we proclaim. A transcendent God that comes into human history in Jesus Christ. I hope you didn't lose sight of the fact that in Revelation 4 all three persons of the Trinity will become evident and visible in the vision. Remember, John was caught up in the what? Spirit. Spirit. And who's on the throne? God. And in chapter five, we're gonna talk about next week, in comes a lamb who looks like it's been slaughtered, Jesus, all three in this one vision, as rich as it is. We proclaim Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. We proclaim his teaching and his transforming power. Has Jesus changed your life? That was a question. Has Jesus changed your life? This is what we proclaim. So when we gather together in this place for worship, there's time we set aside to tell the story of Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to talk about his living presence in our midst, his transforming power of our lives. That's the proclamation. That's the proclamation. Proclamation is not persuasion. So it's not our job to convince anyone that Jesus is Lord. That's that's the Holy Spirit's job, not our job. Our job is to proclaim, and it's to proclaim him not only there, but to proclaim him in four ways. And here they are. We'll put them up on the screen. Right now. There they are. (laughs) Number one, we all proclaim Jesus. Say that with me. We all proclaim Jesus. Camera operators, beware. It is not my job to proclaim Jesus. It's part of my job, but my job as pastor is to help all of you proclaim Jesus. See, I'm not even on the camera anymore. No one can see what I'm doing right now. The pastor's work is to equip the church for the proclamation of Jesus. This is the service I'm supposed to render to the church as the ordained. Because Jesus is a proclamation that cannot be made only in this room and only in this place and only in this moment Because if that's the only proclamation of Jesus that happens The world outside the four walls of this church will continue to die as it continues to display its dying to us every day Each of us have a responsibility to do this work. So number two, we proclaim him. How? In changed behaviors That means our the behaviors of our life are transformed and renewed, and people come up to us and say, Why are you doing that? Why is someone going into high school as a senior going to Columbia? You're crazy that they have drugs there. (laughs) And when that question gets asked, that's the changed behavior, get it? The changed behavior is what would make a high school senior go to Columbia crazy The answer is what jesus when people ask what do we say Jesus that's why So we proclaim jesus we proclaim him and change behaviors. We proclaim him, proclaim him where we live work and play Those three places And finally we proclaim him whenever we gather for worship you know I used to be in a different denomination, yes? yes? I haven't hid that from you. The very last worship service I attended as a clergy person of that denomination, the very last one, the name of Jesus was not uttered one time. Not one time. And at that moment, my spirit just broke. And I was like, oh, Lord, Lord, What have we done we just talk about god as some kind of strange mysterious life force and power no there's one who sits on the throne and that one is worshipped above all others we proclaim jesus who's the center of all things do you get the story the vision that's relayed in revelation 4 it's a wonderful story there's this throne in the middle as a rainbow, a sea of glass around it. There are then four living creatures and then 24 elders. And this week in the podcast, I talked about who those individuals and groups might be. So listen to the podcast because that's what's keeping the sermon from being two hours long, all right? All I want you to understand is there's a throne in the middle, sea of glass, four living creatures, 24 elders Next week, you're going to learn angels and Everything that has been created All around it encircling the one in the middle. So who is that at the center of all things? It is God Remember this is written to a world that's dealing with paganism the imperial cult of worshiping the Caesar other competing systems of power, even those who are part of Jewish mysticism and all sorts of different movements of the day. But the central message of Revelation is this, is no matter what those powers are, paganism, the emperor, whatever it is, no matter what those powers are, they will not prevail. And that no matter how bad it gets for the Christian community that lived in Asia Minor, they are to prevail because Jesus has already defeated them They just don't know it yet. Jesus has already defeated evil So if god is at the center of all this stuff Then centrality is a matter of priority and purpose and here's what I mean by that priority Only jesus endures only that sense of who god is endures nothing else endures did you read in the text that when the when the four living creatures bow down and say holy 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 the lord god of oh, the almighty who was who is and who is to come You know how often they do that? Did you catch it? all the time 24 hours a day. They don't get a coffee break. They don't get a lunch break They don't go to bed They don't sleep Constantly and unending That's what they do You know, I've been in churches over the years where the worship service gets to be about an hour and 10 minutes people start going, man Game's coming on. I need to get out of here. I got bad news for that person. Guess what happens in heaven? Unending Let's just stay Because that's what's happening Priority only Jesus endures Jesus teaches us even in his own ministry that the kingdom of God is the only thing that endures all things. Jesus even told us in his own teaching that marriage doesn't even happen in heaven. People are neither married nor given in marriage in heaven. Let that sink in for me. Marriage is an economy for this life. Because in the life to come it is not necessary. That's how central this one who sits on the throne is. That's the priority. And second is purpose. Everything is moving in this invisible arc. Humans often act as if their own actions will will dictate Christ's place in all things. What Revelation teaches us is Jesus is already the center of all things. Forgiveness is happening. Reconciliation has happened the work of Jesus has happened Our job is to communicate what has already happened to a world around us So here are three ways this might happen worship is a moment to realign ourselves so what happens is you go through the week sometimes Um, There will be competing individuals and values and ideologies that will kind of pull you off target. Worship is a time to reset. Who's at the center? That was spoken like a bunch of uncertain people. Who is at the center? If you said God or Jesus, both answers are equally right. I'll accept both for credit. All right? At the center of all things. Worship is our moment to realign ourselves. So when we kind of get off-kilter, off-track, when we start losing our way, when things begin to get confusing, just utter the name of Jesus. Put him at the center again. It could be while you're at home, at work, here in this place, worship is the moment to realign ourselves with the one who's at the center of our lives. Number two, worship is a moment to proclaim what really matters. What really matters is the saving of lives for eternity and abundance. Yes, that's what matters. Not where you're having lunch. That matters. But it doesn't matter like the other one. It recenters our values and our priorities. It helps us go, ah, this is what really matters. And third, worship is a moment to affirm what God has already done. Now I want you to figure out how this sits in our language sometimes Have you ever prayed and asked god since you became a follower of jesus to forgive you? Yes. Yeah all the time I would suggest to you that you're already forgiven And that continually asking for forgiveness from god Well, you might want to rethink that What you may want to do instead is to confess before god very different the word confession means to agree with god to agree with so let's say you sin the goal isn't to ask forgiveness that's been done the issue is for you to confess to agree with god that that which has happened or that which you have done has broken or has somehow impeded your walk with the Lord. I wish I had more time to talk about that, but when you read through the New Testament, the notion of continually seeking forgiveness from God once we've accepted that forgiveness is a bit foreign to the New Testament. Confession is everywhere. It's everywhere. Repentance, everywhere. It says in revelation 4 8 this here it is and the four living creatures each one of them having six wings full of eyes around and within and day and night see they do not cease saying holy 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 is the lord god the almighty who was who is and who is to come that's the proclamation revelation 4:11. All the 24 elders, it says, take their crowns, and they throw them at the feet of the one sitting on the throne, and this is what they say. Worthy are you, O our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. No Roman emperor can lay claim to that. It's untouchable. What I want you to get is there's a proclamation by the four living creatures, and there's a response by the 24 elders. We're gonna talk about responding next week, about how we respond to the proclamation. Now, as I wrap up this morning, all I want to offer you is a couple of things, and then we're gonna have a little meditation exercise. The way we arrange a sanctuary is important, architecturally speaking, because this is not a stage, and our job is not to entertain you. We arrange things visually so that we begin to perceive that something in this room is centered. Can anyone discern what it is? Look at the things that are centered. The cross and the communion table. Those those are centered in the space. The way we set the space up is designed to, to, in a sense, imitate what heaven looks like. The way the church is shaped, if you look up at the ceiling, this is, you're sitting in what's called the nave because of that ceiling that looks like a boat that's been turned upside down. All right? So we get our word navy from the word nave, which is where you're sitting. So the church building was regarded as the ancient Christians as a way in which they sailed through life. The way they weathered the storms that came their way. And the altar table and the cross are at the center to remind us of who's on the throne. Am I on the throne? No. No pastor is on the throne. Please don't put them there. Jesus is on the throne. And we proclaim him. We proclaim him. Revelation 4 is a text that's good for a lot of things. One of the ways in which we don't use it very often, I think is the most important way we can use this text. So I want you to close your eyes, please. I'm going to invite you to take a few deep breaths. All right, take a deep breath in as deep as you can. Hold it for a moment, and then exhale completely. Now take another deep, deep breath through your nose, deep as you can. Then exhale fully and completely. Third breath, Take a third breath in, all the way in as deep as you can. Hold it just for a moment, and then release it completely. I'd like you to imagine now what this looks like. After these things I looked, And behold, the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, the throne was standing in heaven. Someone was sitting on the throne and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their head. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning, and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And Before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, And in the center and all around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each One of them having six wings or full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, who receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created.